I would say beyond aesthetics, we really try to think about the heart and soul of the brand, specifically with commercial projects. We try to spend time with the client, get to know them and understand the heartbeat behind why they're doing what they're doing. Sometimes they don't realize that that can actually better inform our design decisions because we're designing to the passion that lives within that human being versus what's trendy or what's strictly aesthetically pleasing. So we try to bring a lot of depth to the stories we tell in the space. Welcome to episode 126 of the AFT Construction Podcast. I'm Brad Levitt, and today our special guest is Dala Alfawares. And Dala has an amazing interior design firm, House of Form, which is actually here local in Phoenix. She also has her own wallpaper line, which is Form Paper Co. And she specializes in hospitality, restaurants, food and beverage, food and wine, and has an amazing company. Her story is incredible. She talks about what inspired her to be an entrepreneur and to get into her own design firm you know, with House of Form. She spoke about how she's built uh, the channels, you know, what's important for being a thought leader, how that's driven business you know, from the blog side, as well as just that print media, the white pages is what she called it, and has just a passion for design, passion for information. She spoke about her hospitality retreat, which is also great for company culture, as well as education and inspiration. So stay tuned. A lot to gather from this episode with Dala. She's a great inspiration. So without further ado, let's get started. Welcome to the AT Construction Podcast. I'm Brad Levin. And today we have Dala Alphaware is with us. Welcome, Dala. Hi, Brad. And Dala and I have met. We've known each other for quite a while. You do some amazing de- designs and you have an amazing business and amazing things happening, which I'm excited to talk about. And Dala is the principal of House of Form. And your business has done some amazing things. It's got a lot of direct a lot of different directions. And now you're super busy in the commercial world again, you yes. know, despite COVID. Yes. We so had how, a little scare. Yeah. How was COVID that? Because, times. you know, it's pretty unique. I know for you, mostly is commercial design, which mm-hmm. is pretty rare for a designer to go into the commercial element. And, but there was a moment there where you're like, hey, do we need to pivot and maybe alter our game plan a little bit? Yeah. So I actually decided, thankfully, before the pandemic hit us, that I should diversify in the event that something happens in the economy that we can't control, but the majority of our work is in the hospitality industry, which has bars, restaurants, hotels, um, some retail as well. And so we started to diversify. We picked up on some residential, but we are predominantly known for our hospitality work. And in March of 2020, when the pandemic hit, it was like our clients went silent for about a month, 30 days. It was a scare for all of us. And it was especially scary for me because in March of 2020 is when I signed a two-year lease on a new office. (laughs) (laughs) I made a new full-time hire and we started building out our office space. So it wasn't just a move-in ready. We were actually going to go through a two, three-month construction to build out the space. So So you're right in the middle of a a new lease you signed. You're looking mm -hmm. at doing the build-out. So there's costs involved, right? You're going to get a little portion from the landlord, you know, but most of it's going to be on you. Yeah. And your client base goes quiet because restaurants are trying to work through all the regulations. You know, they're, a lot of it's takeout only. So people aren't coming in, you know, travel's right. limited nationally and locally. Right. You know, how, what, what made that change? I mean, you said that it was only about 30 days. Was it that short or did it kind of prolong through that, you know, that pandemic? Thankfully, it was that short for us. And I think it was just paralyzing for most people because we didn't know what to do or how to react and we needed time to process this new information. 
Um, but thankfully, a lot of our clients have multi-locations. And what they started doing was focusing on the future and new locations and putting their efforts towards that. So it kept us busy. And we actually, we grew in 2020 by, I think, of 20 or 25% despite the pandemic. That's amazing. Who would have thought? Because I know you and I spoke during the pandemic. You're like, hey, Brad, just so you know, like, yeah. you know, there may be a possibility of diversification. I knew how talented you were. Yeah. And thankfully, you know, for you that you, it didn't matter. I mean, you, not that you're not going to diversify anyways, mm-hmm. but it, it's interesting because I look back at that time and I remember when we were actually, it was spring break. I remember we we're out of town with the family and all this news came that here's the pandemic. And I remember looking at my wife and I'm like, the recession's here. Yeah. Like I lived through the last one in Phoenix. We're at this again. I'm like, we had to pivot. I was looking internally, like, where are we out with our clients and stuff? And mm-hmm. then same thing. Who would have thought that, you know, everything would have spiked to the level it did and to where we are today. Yeah. It's crazy. I can't explain it, but it it worked out in our favor. So do you ever have a challenge? Like going back into commercial design, I found that in in some cases with residential, there's an education for the client, right? Mm-hmm. Why do they need an interior designer, right? Educating them to the benefit, which there's so many, which I could talk about for a long time. But mm-hmm. do you find that challenge in the commercial and hospitality sector? Yes and no. I think it depends on the client and their level of experience in the past. If they've never worked with a designer, then there's likely education that needs to happen. Um, if they have, then they're very much aware of the value that comes with working with one. And we really try to educate um, the, the clients that haven't worked with designers before. We put a lot of effort into, I'll call them research or white papers, but They end up being a blog post or some sort of downloadable PDF on our website, but we really try to show the value of design, not just from an aesthetic standpoint, but how it can impact revenue. Ultimately, I mean, we're working with businesses and they care about the bottom line and we want to show them that design could actually contribute to the bottom line. So how is that? So you say white pages. So are these documents that you've created or we'll call it marketing material or information, whatever it Mm -hmm. may be? That clients can see. And so this is really a pro and con, maybe not even a con, just the pros of hiring a designer. Yes. Yeah. So this would be um, research we've done and articles that we've written. And we'll take turns throughout the office writing the articles as well so that we all have a part to play and a perspective to contribute. Because I always ask, I found that some of the most successful entrepreneurs that I've had on the podcast, it always they always talk about the value of blogs, right? Mm-hmm. Or information. It's really becoming a thought leader and providing that because the clients are looking for that. They're looking for that education. And if you're providing that, well, with Dolivan and House of Form, there's going to be an expertise there that we can rely on because they put out this information. But the common theme is, well, I don't have time, right? I'm busy. I can't do that. And it's really interesting that you've taken the strategy that, hey, everyone needs to be a a team player Mm -hmm. in this information that we're putting out there. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we're not writers and we want our content to be good. So we know we could produce good content. We work with writers that can help us, you know, elevate those thoughts so that they're interesting to read. (laughs) Yeah, that's really smart. So so what's some of the benefit? I mean, when you think about that, without breaking down itemized costs, right, Uh the benefits of the client. What are some of the things that by hiring a designer that you've seen or some of the information you put out that, hey, as an owner of a restaurant or hotel, what are the benefits of good design? How does that attract clientele for them? Hmm. So I, I think it varies project to project, but we we have one coming up that we've titled Six Ways to Create an Immersive Environment. And 
where we try to pull from the success of projects that we've already built to show that, hey, all these design decisions that we've made and these methods that we've used have contributed to the success of this bar. And I wish we had hard data to pull, but that's kind of hard to collect from clients. But you can tell by how busy they are and um, their Instagram following that they are doing well and they're doing well because of the concept that they've made available to the public. Well, it's interesting because on that thought, I mean, I, I'm, as you were answering that, I was thinking personally, right? So I love to travel when I can. It's hard with work and yeah. family. Like it's just the reality of it. But when I go, th- there is something to be said about staying in a hotel that has great design, right? How you feel when you walk in, you know, how how the eye, how your eyes, ca- you know, how it catches to the entire space. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the inspiration and, and my wife and I, like as we return to certain places, we'll go to certain hotels or certain restaurants because of the ambiance and the design and mm-hmm. yes, food and service, you know, are a big part of that. Um, but it does play a role. It has an impact, right? The com- and, and there's value to that. Absolutely. Yeah. And we, we think about uh, return customers and restaurants specifically quite a bit. And you go out to a restaurant because it's a different experience than your home, right? And you want it to be exciting and new every time. So we try to think about that when we lay out the floor plan. We should be able to provide different experiences that if you came today and again tomorrow, your experience might be a little different and that's okay. That's the fun of your drawback to the space. And and as you look at it, even on the residential side, uh, you know, when we talk about the pros, a client will say, well, Brad, I don't need a designer. I know what I like, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you may have a client that tells you that I don't need a designer. I kind of know what I want my restaurant to look like, right? Yeah. But as you think about it, uh, you know, designers, there's so much benefit when you look at the resell of the home, right? The resell of the property. Yeah. It's going to bring value because it's going to, everything's going to be fit perfectly as it should be, right? From mm-hmm. furniture to the aesthetics of the entire design. And then, you know, just the inspiration, the live, you know, how, how you live in the home and how you're inspired. And especially where, you know, through the pandemic, people were locked in their home and now you have this amazing design that people come to and they're inspired or, you know, beautiful office where you can get more work done. I mean, yeah. you think of all the pros and there's so much, it, it applies both commercial hospitality as well as to residential. Yeah, it absolutely does. I would say beyond aesthetics too, we we really try to think about the heart and soul of the brand, specifically with commercial projects. We try to spend time with the client, get to know them and understand the heartbeat behind why they're doing what they're doing. Sometimes they don't realize that that can actually better inform our design decisions because we're designing to the passion that lives within that human being versus what's trendy or what's strictly aesthetically pleasing. So we try to bring a lot of depth to the stories we tell in a space. I love that. So it's not just, hey, we're, we're great designers. We have great inspiration. We have a lot of talent because that's what you do. But it's also the company has a brand. They have... Um, a marketing strategy, they have a purpose. And so you're trying to integrate their views, their passion, right? What makes them tick and then bring that into the design elements that you're producing for them. Yes. Yeah. It also makes it harder to say no to design decisions when it's honoring someone's personal, you know, beliefs or likes or yeah. So So what's unique though about the hospitality side is you have to stay current with, you know, things that are changing codes. You have to stay Mm -hmm. consistent with um, as you think about access, right. And, you know, fire department inspections, right. It's not like residential. You have to have, you know, food inspectors come in. I mean, it's a whole different aspect of, so how difficult is it to maneuver through all the different, you know, inspections and 
rules and regulations that have to do with occupancy yeah as well as you know ada whatever it may be in each and every space yeah i honestly it's experience working on projects so we have a good we try to have a good overall understanding of all the trades that we work with mechanical electrical plumbing um, accessibility food service and then it just becomes learn as we go because rules do change pretty frequently so we try to stay involved in all the conversations that happen versus working in a silo as a designer by ourselves. So do you ever have clients as you're working through this? And this kind of goes back to the original question where do I need a designer? Do you ever have clients that say, well, it's too expensive? Mm. You know, it's, it's expensive to hire, you know, to hire a designer. How do you work around maybe that, that concern or resolve, you know, that pain point for the customer? Yeah, that's a tough one. I think um, expense at face value is is what it is. It's a dollar amount without understanding what you're receiving for the product that you'll ultimately be getting from us. So we spend a lot of time with the articles that I shared with you earlier, educating them on our value. Um, We also spend a lot of time on our discovery call, which is the initial conversation we have with prospective clients on here's how we work. And this is what we do in each phase of the design process. And I think their minds most often are blown because they don't understand that we have the capacity to do everything from conceptualizing the space to finishing it out and everything that happens in between. And I try to use a lot of storytelling and give examples of incidences in the past where the value of design has contributed to the success of the project and the lack of it. I think you hit on the head. You said at base value, which really like caught my attention because yeah i mean if you're looking just as a number on a piece of paper you know at face value yeah maybe there can be some conversation there but when you look at roi or you look at the full investment they're putting in there Mm -hmm. it's it's a much greater concept right right than just looking at a number on a piece of paper and and hence the reason you have the documentation right yeah and so but what's unique about the commercial side and the hospitality side on the residential side i don't want to say we're spoiled but uh you know you know, if you're doing a hillside build, it can be a two-year project under mm-hmm. construction. So there's some time for maybe some decisions that have to be revisited. You know, you have now where it's impossible to get furniture mm-hmm. in FF&E. Yep. They have a little bit more lead time. That's not the case in hospitality. Yeah. I mean, you may have a restaurant that they're building out in 90 days. Right. So how do you manage the complexity of FF&E, which I'd imagine you play a big role in, right, is ordering, you know, the furniture and equipment, you know, yeah. fixtures, like, there's just so many elements to that, and especially now where it can be really challenging to get that product. Yeah, and I'll, I'll stress the 90 days or whatever time frame we have. They're also under the gun because they have to start paying right. rent, yeah. right? So they need that revenue to come in. Um, in the past year, when we've had issues with uh, procurement or lead times, we'll, we don't want to lose sight of the overall vision and the best product possible. So we'll try to fight for that, even if it means more time. But we'll find stand-in replacements that can kind of be temporary replacements until we wait for the product we're actually waiting for. And because we've built great relationships with a lot of our trades and sources, hey, can we borrow 50 chairs? (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll give them back to you when we're done. (laughs) That's amazing. And then it goes back to the value of the relationships, right? As you've built a rapport with your vendors and partners, yeah, you can go back to that and say, hey, we need a favor here. And then at some point, we're going to have you know, the real item coming in, but at least you're still solving an issue and the pain point for the customer. Yeah, yeah. I would say we've also um, really stretched our resources. So we may have had a comfort zone in the past of, you know, these are the people or the brands that we love working with. 
Now we've started to look a little further at maybe the smaller shops or the boutique shops all over the country that could provide us the product in maybe a faster timeline. Um, we also do a lot of custom. And I would say probably our biggest education pain point is stressing that custom doesn't necessarily have to be more expensive. Um, we can work with with smaller shops in the Valley that can build a truly unique product, and it'll probably be the same cost as something we would have purchased online. I love that. So it's really exploring your next door, right? Someone in your backyard. So here in Arizona where you're based, and I know you don't work just in Arizona, but mm -hmm. when you do have clientele here, you can do something more custom without shipping. And now you're avoiding, you know, maybe some constraints from freight and you know, maybe bad weather as we're dealing now. I know I have right. some product I'm waiting on and they're like, we're stuck in bad weather trying to get it down to Arizona. And, yeah. you know, someone here local, you know, we don't have any of that that's holding us back, you know, from completing that project successfully. Right. Yep. So, you know, and then going back to the design side with the client, do you ever have pushback where, although you're implementing their marketing strategy, maybe their brand, and you really have a good vision, do you ever have clients that are like, like this isn't going to work, you know, we need to change this. I mean, how do you manage that aspect of the design process with the client? Yeah, it's not unusual. It happens, especially with new concepts. So we have a lot of um, businesses that come to us that have developed brands, but we also have ones that come to us with completely new brands. And the evolution is us figuring it out together. Um, when that happens, it's really just team effort. Hey, let's get together and maybe we need to revisit the core value of why we're doing what we're doing and who are we catering to. And we just re revisit and reassess. So is there a preference without, I, I shouldn't say there's a preference. What's different between working with maybe a national brand as uh -huh. opposed to like a boutique brand, right? That maybe just have a few locations as opposed to a national brand. Right. Well, scale is one thing. I can talk about that later. But in terms of national brands, they probably already have a good established Aesthetic look and feel. Or yeah. yeah, yeah. Sometimes they're revisiting it too. If there's a rebrand happening, then I almost look at that as something we're starting from the ground up, unless they want us to honor the history of whatever they were in the past. Um, so I think it's more challenging, but in a good way, to develop completely new brands because you're looking at it from conception truly initial conception, which means there's no restrictions. The yeah, world is our oyster. Yeah. And how, how early on are you involved, you know, in the hospitality sector? Do you get involved with the architect looking at, you know, even layouts of the bathroom and common spaces and maybe even, uh, you know, in, in the kitchen itself? I mean, how involved are you in that whole design process from the architectural side? Very involved. And I would say it's preferred that we're involved in the space planning portion of a project, which is essentially the first thing you do. Um, we like to, we understand how spaces feel and how you navigate them. We like to do an exercise called a customer journey, where we are actually telling a story of how a customer navigates your space, how they find out about you before they approach your building, what their first interaction when they walk through your doors is, et cetera, et cetera. So we tell a storyline and we actually map out this path of travel. And from that, we're able to develop a really strong floor plan or furniture plan, which may impact space planning, meaning, hey, architect, we have a few recommendations for things that we think should be modified that'll help with the flow of the space. So ideally at the very beginning. That's amazing. And so when you look at this, I mean, going to the design side, um, you know, what are three ways that a business can stand out, you know, two, three, four ways by hiring a designer? 
I would say one would be to really figure out what the brand story is and somehow turn that into an aesthetic solution. When, when you do that and when you're authentic to yourself and your brand, then you're ultimately developing an authentic space that no one has ever done before. So rather than looking to replicate people you admire or spaces we like, we're looking within and designing specifically for that one client. So that's one way, one guaranteed way. Another way you could stand out is we have to realize that we are living in the world of social media and social platforms where your spaces and the moments that happen within your spaces ultimately end up on those platforms. And as cheesy as an Instagrammable wall sounds, your space should capture the overall look and feel in every vignette or every corner of the space. And so it's interesting you say that because that that really is important though. And there was an article I was reading and it was talking about how media has changed. And you think about late night talk shows, for example, and this was the example they gave that, you know, um, Jay Leno or David Letterman, you know, they kind of had their, their way of doing things. But what's really successful now is like Jimmy Fallon will have bits, right? Mm. So he does these bits, but what's great about him is they can actually capture, instead of having the whole hour show, they have these, you know, little five minute segments that can go viral on social media, right? And that right. builds their brand. But there's some reality, you know, you, the reality is that a lot of us have a short attention span. Right. You know, this is why like the NBA, you know, they're really good. It's a really good highlight, uh, you know, professional organization because they have highlights of, you know, a dunk or like a three point or something. And mm -hmm. you can create this image. And as you apply that to us as a business, like you're saying, Dallas, that yes, I have clients that I'll do a post and they're like, Brad, I need that in my laundry room. I yeah. need that in my kitchen. And we're already building their house and we have to make a change because they right. see it. Yeah. And so there is some value to creating something unique or uh, a vignette that's really important to that business or hospitality or restaurant mm -hmm. or customer's house that other people are gravitate to and say, hey, I need to check out this restaurant because this vignette that Dollar did. So right. yeah, it's not just that you're catering to, to Instagram, but the reality is you're, you're showcasing an element that does bring that attraction in. Right. Yeah. And that means that we have to be mindful of the space feeling connected, but also unique. So yeah, which yeah. is always tough. And it so is. immersive spaces, I mean, what is that? I've, I've heard that term before, you know, especially in hospitality. Like, what does that mean? Okay, so this, this is relatively new for all of us, but we worked on a project last year called 36 Below. Um, and honestly, it was the design brief or the design challenge that caused us to develop what we call immersive spaces. And now we swear by it and say, this is, this is the future. This is what we need to do. But essentially, 36 Below was an underground space, 400 square feet. If you haven't been, please go. This That's weekend. amazing. Where's it yeah. at? It's um, on Indian School on 36th Street, right okay. below uh, Sip Coffee. Okay. But it was obviously a space with no windows because it's in the basement. And we were approached and asked to come up with a concept that would really get the buzz going in town. And this was also in the middle of the pandemic. And at the time, something had sparked our interest, but all of us were all of a sudden into plants. I think because we weren't spending time outdoors, <laughs> we had to bring the plants into greenery. our spaces. Yeah. So we said, hey, what if we turn this underground space that's dark, dingy, um, and turn it into a, a garden feel? Like you could go down there and actually feel like you're upstairs out in the sunlight in a greenhouse. Um, and so to achieve that, we had to get really creative. We had to learn a lot about technology, about sound, about color. How do we truly take this feel that you would have in Disney, which is completely transportive, 
and bring it into a space like this. Um, so what we ended up doing was creating these digital screens throughout the space that lined all the walls, and they gave you a perspective view looking out into a garden. So you truly felt like you were sitting in a space that was expansive and was 1,000 square feet versus 400 square feet, which is what we were working with. Um, we also used uh, the sound of fountains, water trickling to make it feel like you truly were outside in a garden. Uh, the lighting was all uh, mimicking daylight so that it truly felt like sunlight was coming through um, the ceiling. So really being transported to a space, but activating all the senses to actually feel like you are transported. It's amazing. It sounds like Disneyland, right? <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, I mean, but the architecture and the designers with Disney, right? It's very curated how they think about that experience as you walk in and the size of the buildings and the scale like it is. It's not a lot of the buildings are not to scale like normally be and they're They're either smaller, but they look bigger and it's really a catch your eye and, and, and very similar to what you're doing. I mean, so where do you, when you think education wise, this is forcing you to think outside the box and say, mm -hmm. okay, we need to be immersive here, you know, from the acoustics to the lighting, right? I mean, this is where you really have to rely on some experts and partners and, yes. you know, do some research, research yourself. So how did that kind of come together? Yeah. So the way we like to approach it is we dream big without parameters first. And we ask the client if we have their permission, because sometimes that goes into budget issues, right? So dream big, and then we'll figure out how we make this happen. And that's exactly what we did. We dreamt big. We made it look like a greenhouse that was, you know, out in the middle of the garden. And then we worked backwards and said, okay, who do we need to work with to actually make this happen? Um, we found a video game developer that was able to create a moving scene of a garden. <laughs> and that's what the view out the window is. We found a... Um, lighting and technology specialist that was able to replicate daylight and the sounds that we needed to hear in the space. So working backwards, dreaming big and working backwards. And then the fun part, which I'm sure you deal with as, as well as, as myself is, you know, dreaming big is really important and then working backwards. And then there's that fine line of budget, right? Trying to figure out, okay, what's realistic and what isn't and yeah. VE value engineer, which is a common term for us. You know, how often does that come into play for your clients' designs of working through just the cost of, uh, th the reality is the cost of anything, especially right now. Yeah, it's tough. Um, I'd say our 3D renderings are kind of what hits clients in their soft spot. And once they see their space and the potential of their space, they're more likely to buy into what they have to spend to make it happen. But we're also really good at finding replacements for materials so that we can meet the budget but still achieve the same look and feel. It's a little bit of both. Yeah. And, and I, I like that you touched on that because there is some preparation from your side as, as you're trying to give the vision to the client. And one of the most difficult things for us as a contractor is, as you mentioned, face value earlier in the conversation. When we have a client that comes in and says, uh, on a piece of paper, okay, this contractor's X, your Y, right? Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to explain and decipher between the two. Yeah. And, and what's unique, you know, if you're to go test drive a car, yeah, you can go test drive two cars and they look different, they feel different, they drive different, they sound different, right? There's there's a touch and feel aspect, but with when it's built on paper, well, what is it going to look like? Yeah. And there's so many in, you know, intricate parts, you know, from waterproofing to insulation to and and I could go on for a long time, but to your point, by giving them that visual and say, "Look, it's, you know, it's one thing to see this price on a piece of paper, mm -hmm. but once they see the rendering and the work you've put in and this is what it'll look like, now you can make sense of it. And now you can work. And then, of course, you know, 
you can product source and work with them to make sure that, you know, you're maximizing the value for them. Yeah, yeah. You, you get them emotionally. I mean, renderings really are an emotional moment. And I can't tell you the number of times we've shared a rendering and our clients will cry. <laughs> That's amazing. They will cry. They'll get goosebumps and say, wow, this is my space. And then we're all on a mission to make it happen. The renderings are really strong um, to share with contractors as well and builders so that we all have the same vision to work towards. And if we all have to value engineer, we all get creative in finding ways that will still allow us to keep that vision. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers. Because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their they're company culture, their integrity, their honesty you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra-contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. For those of you that have listened to the podcast, you know how big of a fan we are of Build-A-Trend and that we have used this software for the last four years. And many of the guests that we've brought on the podcast are also Build-A-Trend users. And in this day and age, with as busy as all of us are in construction, as complicated as it is with escalation pricing, lead times, tracking, organization, all of us need a good project management software to help simplify and organize our business. And there are a couple features that we love a ton about Build-A-Trend. And one is the owner portal. The other is the daily logs. And these are features that we use daily, right? Half of my clients are out of state. And as an owner, it is so imperative how we communicate with our clients, with our team, with our customers. And through Build-A-Trend, this allows us that quick connection. They can check at any time. We can communicate with them. We're up to date. This has actually helped us win jobs, win projects because of that organization, especially at pre-construction. And Build-A-Trend also offers a ton of service on the back end, training and understanding and workshops, you know, to help us use our software effectively. They also have the podcast, The Building Code. To learn more, head to buildertrend.com backslash AFT to get a 60-day money-back guarantee on your Build-A-Trend account. That's 60 days to make sure you love this product with no pressure, and I know you will. From my side as a builder, I will say that the designers I've worked with that are really good at CAD, that are really good at, I, I call it the A-plus design book, you mm -hmm. know, Luann Aguirre that's had me on, and I know you've been on her show. Yeah. I talked to her about that, that, you know, the designers that have that are renderings even. Yeah. Um, you know, we can build from almost anything, right? Uh, but having that, it doesn't leave anything to interpretation, right? right? That we can create exactly the vision because one of the most difficult things as a builder is setting expectations. And when you go into a project, uh, you have the designer, you have the client, you have the architect, the builder, four parties, right? Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes there may be a landscape architect or in your case, a lighting architect, mm -hmm. right? The main, 
And so everyone has an interpretation or expectation of how to look, but sometimes they don't line up, but by you providing the renderings, now everyone's on the same page. Right. And it really does help a lot, not only for them, but and it's a great resource for us as the builder, selfishly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do builder, builders help you? Oh. What makes a good builder? Maybe I put it this way. You've worked with a lot of different builders. Yes. And especially in commercial and hospitality, is there a difference whether it's organization or communication? Yeah. Where have you found the best relationships with the different partners you've I like with. that question. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably easier to answer, answer, right? Yeah. Um, I would say partnership, truly becoming friends and partners with the builder so that we become a team and we're not working individually. We're both working for the same So how purpose. do they do that? Like, how do they break that down where it's like, okay, Dal, I'm working with you now. Like, yeah. how do I get on your team and become a good partner? Um, I think communication is probably the biggest asset that we could all contribute. Just having open communication, asking questions about things that aren't clear, um, frequent meetings where it's just us getting together and figuring things out. That's also my favorite part is if there is a challenge or a problem, working together to figure it out because our strength is the aesthetic, your strength is the execution, and together we make magic happen. I love that. And it is true. And it, it it's such a sensitive and delicate relationship because like anything, I mean, you know, communication plays such a key role that if we're not as a builder communicating with you and saying, hey, Dollar, we love this amazing design, this rendering, mm-hmm. but we're in the field. Here's a hiccup. And, and it's coming to you and just saying, hey, we, we understand what you're trying to achieve. What are we missing? Maybe here's op- here's a couple options that we can execute yes, this, right? We love where, that. Where yeah. it gives you a chance to at least direct them and you don't show up and say, what happened here? This isn't what I wanted. Right. Yep. We love options. <laughs> yeah. Options are always good. So lead generation, which I think is tough for anyone. You know, especially for you that were was super successful in a very difficult time in your industry, where does that lead generation come from? How have you built that aspect of your business? Oh, um, so for we've been in business for five years, going to six years now. Amazing. Yeah, time flies. I know, but you've done so much in such a short Thank time. You. It's incredible. And it's not just me. There's yeah. a team behind me. Right. <laughs> but um, all of it has been word of mouth. And it wasn't until yet last year when we hired Gabrielle, our experience manager, we started, she's sitting right here. <laughs> um, she, we've started to explore other ways of reaching clients that we, that probably are not in our immediate circle. Um, I would say investing in photography has probably been one of our biggest investments this year, really being able to capture our projects for what they truly are and being able to share that with potential clients. So. Our new methods of lead generation is um, really just spending more time producing articles and sharing them with the right people, developers, builders, um, people that are connected to the projects that we want more of. I love that photography plays such a key role because um, there's an investment there, right? Mm -hmm. Having a good photographer and really capturing a great image because no two projects are alike and it's amazing as you go through social media and you see someone that's extremely talented, amazing designs, mm-hmm. and the photography's not good or the lighting's not good, and it doesn't show their best work. Whereas if you have everything in its place and you have great photography, I mean, it makes such right. a difference. But what's really tough for you is I look at this, in, in this market, it's become really difficult to photograph projects mm-hmm. because in a perfect world, you know, the house is complete, we mm-hmm. get C of O. Our designers come in, they furnish the house, we get a photograph and everything's great. Yeah. Right. But now with, you know, the doing an interior of the pool, for example, you know, uh-huh. they won't come out and do the interior until we have a green tag. 
Right. So that's six weeks later, right? And before they'll put you on the schedule and then you're waiting for furniture. And so mm-hmm. to come back, it's challenging because it's usually a client's moving in and it's not till three or four months later taking pictures. And then you hope that everything's, you know, as it was designed, but yeah. they're living there and, you know, there's some wear and tear, which is pretty common. But in commercial, it's really tough because you have a small window. Yes. Typically, you're moving in and that restaurant's open, grand opening, soft opening. You got the public coming through. So how do you manage that complexity to get commercial projects photographed? Yeah, we're experiencing that right now. I'd say there's two things that we do that have to be scheduled and rescheduled about 12 times each. (laughs) No joke. And and I feel like these trades understand because they experience it with every project. One is the actual installation of furniture. That Mm -hmm. date gets pushed back. A yep. thousand times. Yep. And then the second would be scheduling of photography because we are waiting for every element to get in there. Um, we really push for our clients to photograph the space before its use. So ideally after certificate of occupancy and after we've put the final touches. And if we ever have major pieces that are missing, we'll schedule a photo shoot in two parts. One, to get the immediate photos right now prior to people using the space and then we'll schedule another to go back and that's been the best method it's really smart because you have such a small window yeah like you really do and if the contractors behind which a lot of them have been we have been right Mm -hmm. and it's just reality of it but you have a small window put that together and then but it is smart that you can come in and get most of your shots and then maybe photoshop in a piece of artwork or a piece that's missing yes Yes. and the space is still essentially untouched at the time yep that's the best method that we've found. Yeah. That's amazing. And so how do you feel that social media has been good for you, especially now with Gabrielle and just to focus on that? How has that benefited? Because I, I know the benefits on the residential sector. Mm-hmm. How does what about hospitality? I mean, do you find that from, you know, restaurants, hospitality, that they're on those platforms that they're looking and, um, you know, finding you there? Yeah, it's hard to say. There, there's really no hard data that we can pull from. And I think we all struggle with that. But I think what we are able to do is share a lot of our finished product and the journey getting to the finished product, which is what people find most interesting. Um, We've had cold outreach on Instagram, and I think it's just building a relationship through a screen of showing people how diverse we can be with our projects. That's really been how we've used it as a tool. Um, We use Facebook and LinkedIn as well. I mean, those are LinkedIn is a great platform. That's where a lot of our clients live. So how has the company evolved? I mean, in such a short time, five years, I mean, you've expanded and done these amazing projects, great things. Yeah. And now like Form Paper Co. I mean, what is that? How did, <laughs> where'd that come from? So back to March of 2020, when um, everything shut down and I was terrified, I thought this is the time for me to diversify and get into product design, which is something I've always wanted to do. And I spent about a month, I took a course online through entrepreneur.com and it was how to build an e-commerce business. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was a great, great course. It's called Start and Scale. Um, But the course took you through exercises to figure out what to bring to market so that you're not just putting something out there for the sake of it. It's, It's a problem or pain point you're solving yourself. And one of the biggest issues I had with the products and the materials that I use is wallpaper. It was always either residential grade or commercial grade. And there was no one-stop shop for me where I can go and find product that satisfied both projects, regardless of what I was working on. Um, So I decided, okay, I don't even know if this is possible, but I'm going to design a peel and stick wallpaper that's easy to install. Someone who's putting it in their home will have no issues. Someone that's putting it into a restaurant, it'll pass class A fire rating, no issues. And we found it and developed it. So... We've been in business for about a year now. We offer 
really modern, bold, edgy prints that are peel and stick. Okay, I got to pick your brain a little bit because <laughs> okay. what's fascinating, it's funny because uh, I was just in a meeting last week with one of my clients and we were talking about wallpaper budget. Uh-huh. And of course, the husband looks at me and he's like, wallpaper, <laughs> you know? And it's funny because the wife's like, yeah, of course we're having wallpaper. And yeah. for me, I, I don't think of it anymore because every home that we do has wallpaper. Okay. Yeah. I mean, every project, even commercial, like yeah. commercial residential has wallpaper. And it's amazing. It's, you know, it's, this isn't the 1970s, you know, this old, our grandparents' wallpaper. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. amazing. However, in fact, if you come to my office in Scottsdale, uh, almost every wall is in wallpaper, right? And yeah. this was installed in 2012. So um, it just shows how valuable it is, but um, or how, how common it is, especially how, you know, there's so much versatility now with wallpaper. But, yeah. you know, as you mentioned from the fire rating side, you know, you don't have both styles. So it's one thing to create the product that, okay, well, we're going to solve a pain point for the customer. So we're going to find something that's universal, mm-hmm. but there's still manufacturing. There's the artistry side, there's design, there's logistics. I mean, that, that's a big endeavor. I mean, where do you even go about, are you designing this yourself as a team? Are you outsourcing some of the artistry work? Yeah, you know, you, you know yeah. how hard it is. Yeah. It's, it's a challenge and it requires a lot of partners. Um, I'm really proud to say that everything is U.S. made. So 100% and made in the state of Arizona too. Wow. So we've worked with local partners. We have a graphic design partner, um, but we also work with artists that have already developed prints. And then we have a local print partner that prints and ships all of our products. So there's a lot of people involved. I would say I play the role of the big vision for what um, aesthetic patterns I want to see based on our projects. We actually design a lot of our patterns based on projects and the need that we have for a specific project. And then we'll name it after the client and ask them if we have the permission to sell it on our website. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to ask that because, I mean, if you're creating something custom for the client, yeah. do they ever oppose or are they open to, hey, because it's a, essentially it's more brand recognition for them by you yes. selling their product and their specialized you know, custom wallpaper. Yeah, they actually love it. I haven't had pushback yet. They're they're so excited to have their name displayed on formpaperco.com. <laughs> it's just amazing. So in, in five years, I mean, what what was your background before, Dala? I mean, what, where did House of Form come from? You know, that inspiration to start your own company. Oh, so I've been um, in the industry since 2006, practicing design, mostly in hospitality. And I never imagined entrepreneurship in my future. I was always taught to climb the corporate ladder and, <laughs> you know, work really hard. And I still do. I probably work harder now. Yeah. Oh, you do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but there, unfortunately, right before I started House of Form, um, I was working for a firm and I somehow found out about the discrepancy in pay between myself and a male. And it was my first experience with gender inequality mm-hmm. in the workplace. And this was at a design firm you were working at? At a design firm okay. locally. Yeah. yeah, so like a level playing field as far as roles or responsibilities no, or, no, or were you performing more? I was, perform- I was at a senior level, go. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why it hurts so much. Yeah. And it, it truly did like shake me to the core. It lit a fire in me. And I decided, you know what, I, can- I have to be responsible for the course of my future. Yep. And I also don't want any of my designers or my team members to ever feel, feel the way I that. did. Yeah. So, I love that you share that. That's really personal. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the start of it. I was still terrified to start the business. I said I'll do it, but I didn't. And then it took my husband and his friend to have a, a little moment or conversation with me to say, hey, you're capable. You need to just yeah. jump and take the leap. And I did. Well, as we've seen, it's 
more than capable like you're more than yeah. capable. And, and in fact you've expanded you know as we said into your own wallpaper line which is incredible i'm sure you never thought about that happening you know years ago never so what was the toughest thing about breaking off and starting your own business oh toughest thing then or now yeah, then. then yeah and then we could talk about now because okay. it's not easy now no it's not <laughs> <laughs> you think it gets easier but it yeah. doesn't I would say wearing all the hats at the beginning. I mean, your resources are limited. Your funds are limited. Um, your network's limited, essentially. You're like clientele. Yeah. Thankfully, because I had been in the industry, I took the approach of spending truly, it was eight hours. One day, I was sitting in my office at home, and I said, I'm going to email every trade member, every every professional I've come across with um, in my time as a designer and just let them know that I'm doing this on my own now. And if there's any support they can provide, whether it's advice or a lead, I'll happily take it. And thankfully, I was busy very shortly after that. Um, but I would say wearing all the hats, playing the role of, you know, marketing manager, designer, accountant. Now I have the help, but the problems have have changed or the challenges have changed, I should say. Yeah. Right. And now yeah. you have the responsibility of every family that you're responsible for, right? Yes. And they're <laughs> making sure that check is ready to cash, you know, right. in their bank account. But going back to that, what's interesting is, you know, you talked about just expand that network. And um, a couple of episodes ago, I had Pamela Durkin on. And one thing that she said that was amazing, she was talking about how to grow your business, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, thinking about lead generation. And she said, if you want to get into the affluent clientele, mm -hmm. well, who are you networking with? You know, there are vendors that work with the with that clientele. There are... Right. Um, you know, architects, there's designers, there's builders, right? And so in your network, you know, who are you meeting with to get exposure? And, and really, people believed in you, Dala. Like mm -hmm. they, they knew your talent, they knew your personality, and they said, hey, now that she's on her own, by you, you know, go to those resources. Yeah. One door will open and then the next, mm -hmm. and really that's how it continues to grow. Yeah, and I'd like to add to that. Another approach that I took very early on was to really commit to doing one thing and doing it really well, and that was food and beverage. Mm -hmm. So I put all my efforts into anything I put out being somehow related to food and beverage, whether that was networking groups. Um, we even started something called Design It Forward, um, which had to pause during COVID, but it's essentially a competition where we offer pro bono design services to a local restaurateur. Oh, wow. And that became a big thing where we would have, you know, a jury of judges and they were local celebrities that were the judges that helped us pick the winner. And you know, literally every effort was in the food and beverage arena. And even though we've expanded beyond that now, it's still very obviously the core of what we do. So how has that changed? I mean, now five years, although you have, you know, more of an extensive clientele, you have some specialization, you have a great team members, great team. Like mm -hmm. what are some of the things that keep you up at night now? Uh, okay. So this year in particular, I would I'd say it changes probably on a quarterly basis, right? Based on <laughs> business and where we're at. But this quarter I committed to change modifying my role so that it's better suited for the future of our company versus the now of our company. And we had a meeting early on as an office where I actually gave them a percentage breakdown of how my time would be divvied up between design work business development, marketing, and also form paper code, just so everybody was clear on where my hours had to be allocated. I also shared it with them and now with the world so that I could be accountable for where I truly am putting my hours for the future of House of Form. It's really important because there was a company I worked for um, before starting my company. You know, it's funny, entrepreneurs are 
like two ways, either you're born or mm. you're either born as an entrepreneur, or you're forced into it. Right? Mm, yeah. And so I think you're forced into it essentially from this personal story yeah. you shared. And I, I was in a different way, but uh, you know, the company I worked for, they, they had some success at the time and you know, the industry was really busy. And so everyone, including the ownership of the company was focused on this one project and mm. it was a big project in town, you know, it was the Omni Mono Lucia actually. So I was working there on the Mono Lucia yeah. for three years and, and it was, it demanded so much attention, right? Because it's this $300 million property and there's so much goes into it that, you know, at the time that there was a lack of focus on sales and business development and what was upcoming, right? Mm-hmm. Down the pipeline. And then you mix in the recession with that. And that's total disaster because mm-hmm. you have nothing you're working on. And then this comes and it ends. And so what's really smart of what you're doing is that as a business owner, you need to be spending time on the business that it's really easy in the day to day, you know, to get in every little aspect, which is important. You need to understand what's happening. You need to touch on that. You know, you need to be involved with the clients and that is important to make sure everyone's on task, but you also need to focus on the future, right? That yes. you're building, okay, where, where's our brand going? Where's, where am I putting our hours? Where's business development? How mm-hmm. do we continue to evolve so that that way, you know, house of form isn't something that's just today. This is, you know, 10, 20, 30 years down right. the road. And I'm very transparent. I mean, I'll put together documents of our two and five year plan and I'll share it with Gabrielle in particular, because she's my right-hand woman who's leading this mm-hmm. growth and development. And I think it it helps for us to all be aware of where we're today and where we want to do and all this or where we want to be and all the steps we have to take to get there. So what's the hospitality retreat? Okay. So that is an annual trip that House of Form takes. Um, and this is just internal like company-wise? Inter- yes. Okay. We thought about opening it up to the general public. You tell me if you'd be interested in this. Yeah, that's but, awesome. Yeah. And how many employees do you have? You don't mind uh, like so the team. It, we are currently a team of four in-house okay. and outsourced uh, okay. several. But uh, what we do is we take an annual trip. It's usually international. Um, this year, we decided to stay in the U.S. given COVID times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But what we do is essentially we remove ourselves as designers and put ourselves in the shoes of our um, of customers, essentially that go out to dine and go out to bars to have a drink, and we truly experience those spaces as as a patron. Um, and then after the trip, we just evaluate all the amazing things we've seen, and it's just a design inspiration trip. And we kind of collectively design where or decide where the destination is. So what what success have you seen, whether it be company culture or um, future product development, design development, yeah. you know, inspiration that's come from doing these hospitality retreats? Yeah, plenty. I mean, uh, one is the, the just the energy we come back to the office with is so infectious. We're so excited about all the amazing things we've seen. Um, we reference the projects a lot when we're working on design projects. Remember when we saw XYZ? That was really interesting. How do we capture that feel? So there's that element. Um, but there's also the respect our clients have for us actually dedicating this time. We will turn our emails off and we have an autoresponder that says, peace out. We're, <laughs> we're at our hospitality hosp- retreat and yeah. we're there to to learn and grow as designers and we're excited to get back and share all the exciting things we've seen. Well, I love that there's actually a format to it. It's not like, hey, we're just going to go have some time off and team build per se. Yeah. No, there's actually a strategy that, yeah, you're doing that, but it's twofold, right? And so when you're going in, what are some of the things you're looking at? Are you looking at, um, you know, how do you feel in the space? Mm-hmm. You know, how is the customer service? How are, you know, 
floor plan? I mean, what are some of the things that really that you're trying to look at or challenge your team mm -hmm. to be aware of as you go to to this retreat? Yeah. So we'll start in the office by first having everybody contribute a couple of places that they're dying to see. It's on their wish list. We must make a reservation here. Uh, but once we're there, we try not to be too regimented. That way we're truly experiencing it like a patron would. Mm -hmm. And then we reevaluate after the fact. Um, but I think most of what we take away from the space is concepts. So ideas behind these um, businesses and look and feel of the space, design solutions, um, quality of design execution, very design heavy. That's amazing. And how how long have you been doing this retreat? So this uh, next year will be our third annual, or this year will be our third annual. And um, do you already know where you're going to go? We have ideas. We are torn between Amsterdam and Mexico. Wow. <laughs> yeah. We're thinking Amsterdam is winning right now, but I don't Amsterdam, know. I've never been to Amsterdam. I think I've mean, been to Mexico, but... Um, and I was just speaking with someone, correct me if I'm wrong. So the only thing with Amsterdam, I believe you have to be tested every day. Hopefully that changes, right? Oh, yeah. See, we don't, we'll, we'll reevaluate. <laughs> November is when to we put travel. A dip on it. Yeah. Yeah. Is, you're going to November? November is usually when we travel. Oh, so you have time. some time. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, this Omicron kind of gets through and I hope we start so. building some immunity as, as a country and, and yeah. world, I guess you could say. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. So what, so where did you end up going for the last retreat? Uh, San Diego. Oh, you did? Yes. Yes. So what were some of the, um, without, I mean, you could call it some of the places you want to, but uh -huh. what are some of the things that came back from this last visit to San Diego? Oh, okay. So, um, there's one restaurant group in particular that we absolutely love. Um, and they're called Consortium Holdings and they have bunch of restaurants but they're very very much in the san diego area they haven't um grown beyond that we've been admiring their work for years and we wanted to make sure we could meet the man behind consortium holdings and so we asked around and we had a client that actually knew him we said hey could you please make an introduction we ended up meeting him and spending two hours with him just hearing him talk about how he developed this incredible restaurant group i would say that's probably the most memorable part of the trip. That would definitely be memorable because, yeah, yeah, you're going direct to a potential client customer, right? Yes. That you're, you know, for you to put that passion behind it of trying to meet them. I mean, I'm sure that it built some rapport for them too where, hey, maybe there may be some future consideration for House of Form. Yeah, we would love that. Yeah. That would be a dream. <laughs> so how often do you do projects out of state? Um, It really varies. It's not just out of state. We'll do international projects as well. We've worked on projects in uh, Japan. Kuwait, where I'm from. Wow. Bahrain. Yeah. So we're open. I would say maybe 70% of our work is Arizona based and then 30 is kind of sprinkled throughout the US and internationally. That's amazing. So what, what got you into design? Oh, okay. It's kind of silly, but my parents used to host parties at their house when I was growing up and they would have activities for the guests and they used to have a fortune teller come in. And he told my fortune, he said, I would be an architect. So I went to architecture school <laughs> and I didn't like it at yeah. all. And I switched into design. So that's, I think, partially he kind of planted the seed that this, this is this your future. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but really, I started thinking about it recently. My dad, who is in finance, nothing to do with design, spent a lot of his time on weekends just redesigning our home over and over again. It was just something he enjoyed doing. And I think I watched him and I, I enjoyed that process. So was that a tough transition? I mean, it's it's pretty neat to hear like the family side. Have, maybe it's in the blood, right? And seeing yeah. your dad do that. But 
you know, as you go to school, it's a big decision to go to architecture school. Was it tough to make that transition and say, nope, I'm going to go into design? And uh, especially, did you know you'd have success right in that industry at the time? No, not at all. All I knew was the program at Arizona State University was fourth in the nation. And I was like, well, that they have a great design I'll school. I'll get a great education. And I had no idea where it would take me. I think most design students don't. They don't know what they're getting into when they go into a design program. You kind of are surprised by the technicality behind it. It's not just, it's aesthetics. So do you, when, when you look at hiring, because this is a common question, especially as it relates to construction, design, mm-hmm. architecture, to some level there is, especially as an architect, right? Uh, you know, the formal education, you know, is really important, you know, and even for design as well as construction, there are some advantages. What are some of the benefits to going to design school? Do you feel have either played a role or inspired you now, mm-hmm. you know, running a design business? I would say first and foremost is program knowledge, knowing how to use the programs that we use day in, day out. So that would Which be- are, And what are some of those programs? Yeah. Um, so AutoCAD and Revit, um, Photoshop, Illustrator, InDesign. Because you're yeah. doing your own renderings. We talked about that earlier. So are you yes. performing all those yourself as well? Yes. As SketchUp. Yes. SketchUp, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we're doing all of that in-house, and we feel like the strength of our projects comes from being able to do everything from A to Z, being able to be a part of that entire process and make sure that execution truly is aligned with the vision. So I'd say program knowledge, but something that can't be taught that I look for is just passion for the design industry and hospitality specifically. If you love that environment, then that's, that's something you can't really teach. Yeah. So how have you found that when you look at hiring, I mean, especially your core people you have now, mm-hmm. you know, were they always in hospitality? Was this their passion? I mean, how did you even work through that hiring and vetting process for them? We are going through it right now. So I will report back, but <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you in the past the advantages that I actually used to teach at ASU while um, I was working and while I started House of Form. So I knew the students very closely. Um, so you knew which ones you could yeah. almost like cherry pick per se. Yes. Yeah. That's amazing. So yeah. why did you go back and teach? Um, so I, after a, my degree from ASU, I went to Purdue to pursue a master's so that I can go into education. It's something I thought I wanted to do and I pursued it for five years. So wow. while I was working full time, I was also teaching classes So you did at get ASU. a master's from Purdue. I did. Yeah. And what was your emphasis? Your math? Um, interior design. Interior design. Yeah. Okay. So, so it was, a was fine so arts the same. Degree. Fine arts. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and I was committed. I mean, I did the five years and I was hoping for a associate professor position. And after a while, it didn't feel like it aligned with my passion. And so I respectfully said, okay, I think this chapter is over, but I really enjoyed it. I still enjoy teaching. I think it's it's kind of an innate thing, but I do it in the workplace now. Yeah. Now it's with your team, right? Yeah. The environment as you're growing house of performance, as you said, you're focused on the business. And it's amazing. It's you know, it's really important as people, right? And as you know, that you understand your strength, you know, your weaknesses, kind of where life's taking you and you adapt and you say, yeah, I'm going to make the best man. Yeah. And, that, and then you find your happy place per se. Right. Which is where you're at now. That's right. The happiest place. <laughs> so what is, what, what's one of your favorite things about your job working in hospitality, the restaurant? I mean, yeah. do you, is, how often do you get to visit, you know, these places you've designed and dined there and, you know, and be a part of that, you know, to their success? Yeah. Uh, well, from a in-studio environment, my favorite part is the brainstorming session. 
we try to do that as a team so that it's kind of collective minds coming together and just spitting out amazing ideas and working through them. Um, and then sharing that with the client and being a part of their journey all the way through opening is, it's personal. It, it's not a transactional thing. It feels like we are a part of their success and their growth and being there on grand opening day is always the most exciting part. Oh yeah. Especially for, I mean, for you and your team to put in all that time, all that effort to be there for grand opening. And yeah. you know, it's funny for a lot of people to say, well, what's, you know, what do you enjoy most about construction? Cause it's a tough industry. Design's a tough industry. Yeah. You know, I think most people that they may look at these amazing projects you've done and designed and your amazing marketing that you've done, but they don't realize how difficult it is to to start from here and get to the end, right? Yeah. And in construction, you know, you post this amazing house and they don't realize how difficult and all the pain, blood, sweat, and tears that went into this project. Yeah. But what's most satisfying is you go back and you look at this and you're like, you know, this is something we were able to create, right, and manage. Mm -hmm. And you get to see your clients enjoy it and it becomes a big part of them and their, you know, posterity or even for clients in the hospitality, you know, for their customers. I mean, it's just such a uplifting thing to go back and say, you know, you you played a role in, in that creation. Yeah. It's also fun to see how users use the space. Sometimes we're surprised by things we could have never planned for that either work in our favor or sometimes they don't. But <laughs> but being able to see people use and enjoy the space is also really exciting. That's amazing. So yeah. what's upcoming and exciting? For House of Form. For House of Form. Well, we'll have the um, hospitality retreat to Amsterdam, Amsterdam. slash Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, we've got that going on. We Cross are... our fingers, no travel protocols, right? I Just know. keep it easy. I hope so. Um, but we're also hiring three um, designers wow. this year. Yeah. Over the next couple of months. That, so. that, that's a lot. That's a, a lot of growth. That's amazing. Yeah. And what else do we have going on? Any neat projects? Uh. <laughs> so, 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 what's the one you mentioned again? Was it thirty six below? Thirty six below. Okay, yeah. so that's one we need to visit. Yeah, yeah, you definitely should. We're actually working on their second bar location, which I'm sure will be in the same avenue of thought. Um, we also are doing a lot of multifamily this year. Wow, which is really exciting. Yeah, and we're kind of bringing our hospitality spin to that industry. Which is fun. We're kind which of, is needed. Yeah, which is needed. Exactly. And there's so much growth in the valley of multifamily buildings of multi going up. Yeah. A lot of growth here. Everyone's tired of the cold. You know, they're ready to come join us in this hot weather. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so where can our listeners find you? So we can be found at houseofform.com or formpaperco.com. Um, and our Instagram handles, that's where we spend a lot of our social media time and efforts is houseofform underscore um, or at Form Paper Co. Amazing, Dala. Well, you've been phenomenal. I can't thank you enough for making time. And it's a it, it's fun to have someone local that, you know, is a big colleague of mine and, you know, really so happy with your success and what you've done. And thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you. And thank you for having me. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.